You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. This podcast is sponsored by This.Labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Okay, we are live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. My name is Tracy at Lady Elite. I will be one of your co-hosts today, and I'm excited also to have uh, Jeff Mahoney, who is an engineer at IBM Watson, as one of my other co-hosts. Welcome, Jeff. Hello. And uh, we also have some amazing guests today doing really, really cool things in JavaScript um, and tech. I love these types of podcasts and uh, these two amazing guests that we have because, you know, development is fun, but they make it way more awesome. So <laughs> first things first, I want to go ahead and uh, introduce Alex Castillo, who's the co-founder of Neurosity. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tracy. Yes. And then uh, I'm also going to go ahead and introduce Robert Plummer, who is the lead engineer for BrainJS. Thank you for having me. Yes. And so this podcast is going to be focused on basically neurotech and machine learning. And I wanted to go ahead and uh, just give, kick it off. Jeff, I know you're one of the reasons why I invited you on is because you're very interested in this type of stuff. So did you want to start off with a few questions? Uh, certainly. So I think my first question would be for Robert. Um, so Tracy, as you know, uh, I recently did a, um, a meetup presentation on BrainJS to uh, uh, a modern web uh, meetup in the Raleigh-Durham area and got a lot of interest there. And I guess I wanted to, I wanted to talk with the creator of BrainJS and ask, um, first off, uh, what got you into uh, working with this library, and as a follow-up question, what kind of a tech audience do you see, or did you have in mind when you work and continue to work on BrainJS? That's a really interesting question. Um, so I, I want to be clear, I'm not the, the creator of it. Um, I think it's actually kind of an inspiring story, and it really goes to show like the importance of open source is when an idea is good enough uh, it doesn't die, you know. It it keeps living, and um, my personal journey. Uh, I just wanted a, a simple machine learning library, one that was like, here's math, you know, and it's closely related to the um, the math that you would see when they go to explain it, like in a paper or something. And you see that a lot with machine learning because machine learning is usually proven by some sort of paper or something that that uh, somebody you know, has insight to write. Um, but the, uh, I couldn't find one. <laughs> it really frustrated me because there's just a lot of comments and a lot of like obscurities that sort of take away from that simple idea. And then I, um, I found BrainJS probably after looking maybe at 20 or 30 libraries. Because oh, I, really? <laughs> I always go to, well, they, they, they're very similar. A lot of libraries are very, very similar. Um, they, it's like if you've implemented it somewhere, some way, why re-engineer it? Um, and so 
I found Brain.js and I found like 15 or 16 lines in Brain.js that, that was the entire feed forward step, um, which is in machine learning, you have multiple steps. You have uh, feed forward, uh, yeah, you've got the, the forward propagate and the back propagate. The back propagate is where it's learning to understand what it was trying to achieve. Um, but generally, you don't use that when you're, when you're um, just when, when a neural net has been trained. And so the, the forward propagate um, was only like 15 or 16 lines long. It was straightforward math. And I quite honestly just fell in love with the thing. Um, I just, there was no hidden logic. It was all just right up front. And I scrolled to the top of the page and I saw that the library had been, in a sense, abandoned. Um, and I thought, man, if that's, I mean, there was some issues already with the library that could have been resolved fairly easily. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we, why don't we fix those? You know, that would, that would be interesting. You know, obviously people find this library interesting and, and they're using it. So I went to the library page and I thought, you know, how do we, how do we do this? I guess we open a pull request, but nobody's gonna really, you know, get the sense of what we're fixing unless we really broadcast it. And I saw somebody was like, why don't you um, maintain these libraries anymore? I thought it was a pretty interesting, uh, not interesting. Um, Innocent question, and I got involved, and eventually the library or the community community um, just said, you know what, let's just clone it, and, and we'll continue there. And that's what happened. Um, and so I, I hope that wasn't too long of a thing, but yeah, it was. Um, I forget what the original question was. I love <laughs> no, that. That's the question. I was. I really kind of wanted to know what got you involved with it. So that's that. That's a really nice story. <laughs> I think it also really shows how easy it is to just get involved yeah. in um in open source and people you know pe people don't realize that hey if you're passionate about something you can just get started which kind of uh leads into alex's story which uh he came from netflix and now started his new company uh neurosity and uh, Alex, do you want to go ahead and give your introduction and maybe talk about your journey into this? Yeah, sure. Um, it is true. It, it really touches on on open source because um, a few years ago is when I got my hands um, on the first um, on my first brain computer interface, and that only happened because OpenBCI, which is a computer that stands for open source brain computer interfaces uh, released uh, their, uh, their line of products uh, revolving around open source hardware for brain computer interfaces, meaning biosensing, um, the human body, um, you know, the muscles, the, the, the head and the scalp and the brain. And they open source the whole stack, which is something amazing. They open source the schematics and the hardware and the software running it and the firmware running in the hardware and the 3D design that you can print to assemble your own brain computer interface. So um, I also got drawn, I guess, into this field because of people wanting to democratize information and technology and build communities. Um, so after I started playing around with brain computer interfaces, you know, Fast forward a few years later, I just started 
um, a few months ago, Neurosity. So I partnered with my friend, AJ Keller, because we do uh, align so well and share so much of, of the same vision. Um, and basically it comes down that we just believe in pushing the mind and we believe we can do more. And we believe that humans have this extremely powerful computer running already within us that we could leverage to do great things. Uh, we believe in many things, including we believe in autonomy and we believe in just constantly expanding the capabilities of the mind. And right now, right, we are doing all of our work is related around what does that look like as a product for people to be able to use. And it touches on many things, including um, neural networks and, and you know, projects like BrainJS and a community also, and a lot of things that we're, we're very passionate about. So um, I hope that answers that. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Uh, so I think uh, uh, another thing is maybe just talking about the different projects and, um, you know, do you need to have experience in these types of things to get involved? Like how easy it is to just jump into to, to some of these different things? I would love to answer that. Yeah. Um, so, so machine learning is uh, like disguised to most people. They're like, this is, you know, AI, this big thing that's uh, going to take over the world. <laughs> most people don't realize it's just, it's just simple math. Like, um, quite literally, they have uh, add, multiply, and activate. And activate is really kind of like a, a form of compression. So you have like a step or two above the Pythagorean theorem in terms of uh, the complexity of the math. And I think exposing that to, in particular, young minds, like people that, and people that don't know what machine learning is, and just getting familiar with it, that is my, an idea that's very simple. Um, then people start looking for ways to to utilize it, you know, like like you would utilize um, a wrench, you know, to turn a, a bolt or something like that. You just see applications because it's a familiar concept. Um, you're you're just talking about reducing an idea that's maybe like for for humans after we're we're introduced to like five things like five different variables, and I apologize about background noise. Um, <laughs> I work at home. <laughs> um, after, after we have like more than five variables, it starts getting really hard for us. And, and not just hard because it's hard because there's uh, us thinking about it, it's hard because like coding it or just thinking about the variables uh, and the combinations of them, you start arriving at something that's very complex. But if you throw machine learning at it, it, five variables is nothing. That's extremely simple. So um, yeah, introducing it as just like a tool, just like a wrench. You know, you could you could build a a killer robot with a wrench. You know, so much as you can build a car with it. Um, using it as a tool, it, it really starts to benefit many people. And I think making it as simple as possible. Um, I mean, it never hurt anybody, um, or at least I don't think it did. Um, 
adhering to Einstein's, you know, it should be as simple as, as possible, but no simpler. Um, it's just common sense. And I think that's the next iteration of, of machine learning. Uh, one of the, one things, of the things, things that I really liked about BrainJS, your library, was uh, for myself when I started getting into learning about you know deep neural networks, machine learning, and those topics. Robert, uh, I did look around and I started playing around with some Python examples and and you know some various Jupyter notebooks out there. Uh, as a JavaScript developer, I was of course thrilled when I came across uh, this library, and I thought. Um, I really like how um, I like how you can just sort of get started right away and just see it in action because I feel like you know uh, both you and Alex have talked about you know democratizing uh, these by this technology and these concepts. I feel like if you can put it in somebody's hands and get them a working ver a working example right away, then that goes a long way towards spreading this knowledge. Um, I, uh, I actually have a question for both you and Alex in that um, these areas that you work in, uh, I think, seem very complex and intimidating to a lot of people, but you've demonstrated through your own example that they're actually very approachable. How much, how much uh, prior knowledge would you say is required for you to get started in your respective areas? Um, do you have thoughts on that? Alex, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess prior knowledge always depends on the person. Um, I can tell you that when I got started, uh, you know, when I got started and didn't have any background in either neurotech or machine learning, um, I mean, if I take a step back, I didn't have a background in computer science. My background is in design, right? So, you know, um, whatever, wow. makes, whatever makes you curious is what you go after. And uh, what made me curious uh, were all these exciting technologies. But really, like anything that would get me closer to like something that could have life, if you may. For example, I love my computer interfaces because they're actually using your biology. Your, your, you know, they're using your 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 brain and something that is made out of cells. And if you think about it, neural networks were designed to replicate exactly how the brain works internally. <laughs> And then we're using the design that humans created, inspired on how they understand their body works uh, to understand the brain more. And if you think about it, that is a crazy idea, right? So anything that would get me closer to understand human behavior, uh, even to help um, people uh, change their brains and uh, potentially get rid of some mental issues and give people more control and power and autonomy and if you may superpowers um i'm down so the barrier is really how bad you want to do the things you want to do and i know that doesn't quite answer what you're saying because it's super difficult to quantify like how easy it is but i'm going to tell you something when i found brinjas a few years ago um I was able to uh, to run uh, a neural network within the first like 30 minutes or so, just playing around, right? Um, and that was, you know, with no prior knowledge. But you go to the project, you see the documentation, you see the people. Uh, a lot of the times they have uh, a Slack. Um, you know, open source in general have Slack. 
um, um, messages where or boards where you can go and just get support. Uh, Neurotech has a huge one with thousands of people called Neurotech X. Um, so even if the documentation is not quite there and it's difficult to start doing things and the demos are just simply not not produced or they don't work, then you can take that extra step, open issues, get involved, go to the chat rooms and all that. So I would say it's, uh, it's, it's less scary than people think. Alex, I had another question. Um, so I know BrainJS mainly focuses on you know, kind of like machine learning. So it's kind of the the computer being the brain in a sense. And you're, you know, you're studying the actual like brain itself. Um, how does machine learning actually fit into anything related to neurotech or or does it at all? Yeah. So, you know, um, early on when Robert was talking about inputs and outputs, right? If we take that and we start thinking what are the inputs, let's start with the inputs. You know, in let's say neurotechnology, a lot of the inputs are just data that are measured based on, let's say, specifically the EEG or electroencephalogram, the one that measures the brain activity, is picking up electrical voltages produced by neurons. Um, and what that tells us is that, okay, if when, when, when neurons communicate with each other, when they are sending messages and receiving messages, they produce electrical voltage. Um, when we have billions of neurons, um, what these uh, sensors are picking up are like when thousands of neurons or millions of neurons are activating in a way that produce enough voltage that can be measured. And if we take that input, right, that that what that, that gives you is actual volts, electricity, right? And that goes, you know, um, from like microvolts. So you're getting some microvolts, very, um, you know, measures of electricity. And to see how you can apply machine learning is that, okay, what do we do with this? What does this mean? We're getting electricity from our brains. Um, can we potentially one, denoise, because there are some artifacts that are produced maybe by movement, because it also picks up some muscle data. Uh, can we start maybe classifying uh, things to see if something makes sense? Can we train for it? And then, I mean, you start asking questions and you just end up with more questions, but then it's like, okay, if I'm going to be testing for uh, these brainwaves uh, and applying potentially some machine learning algorithms and classifying them. Do I have to be wearing the hardware each time I want to be testing? Maybe I can use a neural network to produce artificial brainwaves that are similar to how what humans produce. So I can then help myself a little bit more on, on how to approach this problem. Um, so yeah, the way they intersect, right, neurotechnology and artificial intelligence and machine learning is that there are going to be a lot of, well, we do have available plethora of, of methods, of solution, right, of neural networks and way that we can classify and potentially start making sense out of some of this data that we're getting. And yes, there, there are some that are very good fit for certain problems, depending on what you're trying to do. I think the noise in the data is, is very interesting and, uh, cl and classifying. And, you know, that is when it's, it, it gets fun.
when you start really applying a little bit more of that advanced concepts um, to try to understand human behavior. So I think they're they're perfect fit for each other. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, that's yeah, that's a really mind blowing uh, way of looking at it, and it's that sounds like really no pun really... intended. Oh yeah, well, boom. boom. Um, my next question um, actually is for Robert, and maybe for you too, Alex. But I, I'm curious as to hear to hear what Robert has to say about this. Um, you know, in your emails uh, to me, Robert, and to the group actually before this, you had mentioned that you've worked for a, a wide you know variety of clients and you know employers over the years. And I'm curious as to in your journeys um, how much you've used um, machine learning in these scenarios, and if so. Uh, what, if any, has been your interaction with uh, other with data scientists who might have also been involved in this work? So I I ran into brain, um, or rather machine learning, um, kind of after I had done a lot of the, uh, I guess, contracting with with uh, I was employed. <laughs> at that point. So it's mostly just experimenting in-house. Um, but right now I'm actually working uh, to use Brain.js um, to classify um, like who our ideal customers are. For example, um, I'm working with our, our business analyst at um, Icon Health and Fitness, or, or iFit. And, um, and it's these are the type of, of issues that you usually run into, especially with just general business, is how do we make more money? <laughs> it's and it can be, you know, I guess, kind of crude. I guess looking at it like that, and you don't want to, you know, think beyond humans. Like you know, we are all human, and we should have respect for other humans. But um, for example, we had um, a, a particular uh, classifier, like how often people worked out, and if they worked out every single day of the week, they would likely be set up for failure and so they wouldn't renew with us and so if they worked out maybe two or three times a week then maybe that is an indicator that they they were you know balanced you know and they, they weren't set up for failure and so we thought well you know we've got this issue that we've you know found with machine learning so how do we monetize on that well you gamify the system so you don't you don't allow them to do you know every single day as a workout so you, you allow them to do some days as a workout, and then they can work up the levels, and, and then they're rewarded, and now you've got a, a system that's both um, humanitarian, you know, you're not treating your, your customers like animals, but you're also um, rewarding them, you know, for uh, what they're, they're doing. And I think that that actually is a really nice, and, and is fairly usual, you know, you've got a situation you need to classify, but you don't know what classifies them, you just sort of um, arrive at it. Um, so I hope that maybe answers your question. It does, and I actually have one um, follow-up question to that. Um, in my own journeys to learn more about this kind of area, it seems like, and this might just be me, but there there seems to be kind of a divide between what I would call theoretical um, machine learning and what I'd call applied machine learning, and so you know. 
you have people out there like DeepMind and Google and so forth um, who are developing new algorithms, you know, to use for uh, networks, maybe a new way, a new activation function um, or, you know, a new strategy for that. And how, and then there are people out there that are taking, you know, this technology and using it to solve problems. What, you know, how much innovation, do you think there's a lot of innovation in both spaces or is it a case of like, you know, the, the you know, these, the theoretical guys sort of come up with stuff and then the rest of the world finds ways to work with it and maybe that's their innovation. I mean, what do you have, do you have thoughts on that? And is my question clear enough? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I see a lot of like innovation right now and I'm, I'm nobody. Uh, I'm, I'm just someone who likes to tinker. <laughs> so, I mean, this is probably not, <laughs> I mean, don't don't pivot the whole thing on, on my response, but what I usually see is um, we've achieved a great deal with machine learning, and really we're still in its infancy. Um, but the majority of machine learning for practical applications, um, I would say has been solved. And what I mean by that is most applications are not most scenarios are not extremely complex. Um, there are some complex scenarios like cancer detection and using machine learning to actually do the operations on people, um, but we'll fall back probably to some very simple algorithms that actually do those when we refine them. Um, but most machine learning is like just using it in a practical sense. You know, like I have not, in the scenario of classifying um, I mean, classifying is just such a huge situation or a huge um, ability, um, you know, to know why one thing is, is a certain way or not. Um, but when we, th when we think about that it's, it's in its infancy and that it's, it's um, we're really set up to, to have massive changes in the future for, for machine learning. Um, when, when you see like a new paper come out on machine learning, you'll see like, for example, like ImageNet, um, it'll be solved like 95%. And this new, this new paper comes out and it says, we've got this, like you said, a new activation or a new uh, means of learning. And it pushes that from 95 to, to 96% accuracy. We're 95% already solved. You know, so that, that last 5%, we may never, you know, have it perfect. We may never have 100%. I, I don't think it will be that way. I think we'll achieve it. But the majority of it's been solved already. I think this is so interesting because, you know, again, the, the stuff that both you, Jeff, and Alex are working on are so, so kind of new in a sense, right? Like, uh, you know, when you were talking about actually using something like let's say brain js slash machine learning to operate um on people i was thinking about some of the stuff that i've seen alex talk about with um you know playing around with uh, neural networks and being able to actually uh you know just use javascript in a sense to read brain waves in uh operating rooms and just to, you know like imagine I, I, you know, it, it's like really amazing to see how technology kind of pushes forward uh, the world. And 
Alex, I know, so Neurosity, so you've told me a little bit of maybe about kind of what you're working on, but since this is so new, um, what are the, some of the ways you're hoping that Neurosity sort of pushes, pushes forward this type of innovation? Yeah, so when, when I first got started with brain-computer interfaces and neurotechnology, um, I'm like, oh, so there's something called a brain-computer interface. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get one. I'm going to just control things. I'm going to read my mind. I'm going to get information that I didn't know I had or that it was more in my subconscious. And I wanted to detect, uh, um, well, at the time I was working for Grappa, one of the first problems that I was trying to do is like, okay, I spent too much time trying to find what I want to order for lunch, so maybe I can uh, use a brain computer interface and it will tell me right away what I'm more, you know, uh, into at, the, at that moment in real time. And I had like a number of things that I wanted to solve, like too many. Uh, it turns out like the field and like it, it was not there yet. You know, and, and this technology that we're getting or EEG, you know, what we're measuring, um, it's almost 100 years old. So, you know, my expectations were very, very high. Um, and then uh, I learned very fast that there was so much to be done and we were not nearly close to be able to read thoughts, right? Not even, don't even get me started on like, uh, you know, downloading memory and all the crazy things that you see in movie. But AJ and I started Neurosity because we want to give people that thing that we didn't have when we started. We want to make the technology. We want to take the technology to a point where people can do can start answering questions and start uh, understanding themselves better. And this has a, a number of applications, um, or it could touch a number of applications in the consumer world, uh, in health, and many other areas. So what I can tell you right now, since uh, we haven't really uh, released publicly what our first product is going to be, is that um, we're reimagining brain-computer interfaces, and we are going to do it in a way that it solves all the problems that exist today in the field of brain-computer interfaces and what the technology can do. We want to make we want to make possible all of the things that we thought that should be possible. So I hope that helps a little bit. I know I'm not giving much, but uh, this yeah. is as far as I can go right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited about that because again, I can just see, um, you know, we've talked about this whole idea where like, you know, you can, um, because I, I remember when you were talking initially about OpenBCI stuff with me, we were talking about things like, you can actually use this type of technology to uh, detect seizures, right? If somebody's sitting at home, uh, you know, it's like a very easy and cheap way for somebody at home who maybe deals with epilepsy to be able to be like, oh my gosh, I'm about to have a seizure because my brain waves are changing. But I think also in order to do that, uh, using something like, uh, you know, BrainJS or machine learning or something will allow you to sort of learn like, okay, what are those brainwaves that actually are going to get you there, right? Like to the um, kind of like what, um, 
Robert was talking about where, okay, hey, you know, we might be able to get 95% there, but I mean, if you can get it down to a T and really start understanding like, okay, this one blip means, boom, this person's about to have a seizure or something like that. Or like, oh, you have this one small little blip in a, in a, a hospital room, which means, oh my gosh, you're about to touch, you know, a nerve that you're going to damage or something like that's that type of stuff is super cool so i think both yeah. projects are super 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 interesting i actually just have one i have a quick question for alex um uh, a couple of years ago or maybe it was a year or two ago I, I went to duke university and saw a lecture about uh sort of a new generation of lie detectors and i I can't specifically remember what the technology was they were discussing, but I believe it involves something like a brain-computer uh, interface. And the presenter talked about how uh, it, it involved getting away from the whole idea of reading like pulse and blood pressure and sweat, and looking more instead at like you know, kind of like an fMRI image. Um, is that something that we can? Is that some, is that technology that's possible now with something like a BCI, Alex, or am I, um, or or is that uh, or is that still further off? <laughs> Oops, you're muted. Oops, sorry. Are you asking more if there are brain computer interfaces that are based on fMRI specifically, or just brain computer interfaces that can give you some like body states as like um blood per pressure you know heat temperature and all that yeah i think i'm brushing up against the the with the breath the extent of my knowledge on this topic but i seem to recall that i think it was it involved being able to read brain activity on a on a more fine-tuned scale than existing lie detectors and i didn't know if that involved uh the kind of area that you are getting into with brain with uh, brain computer interfaces. Yeah, um, I know there are some people that have taken brain computer interfaces um, that give you EEG data. Um, you know the the volts that we were talking about earlier, uh, the electricity, and have been able to classify uh, to a certain level of prediction um, uh, if someone is lying or not. So that definitely is something that um, has been done as far as like a, a light detector. Um, I don't know the details about the project. I know um, there are there are some papers and some some videos of talks out there about it uh, for sure. Uh, and if I may, uh, just to add something that what uh, Tracy said before. Yeah, I know we're talking about Tracy. You know about uh, the applications of this and how it could affect. Uh, people being able to get access uh, to health information. And one of the things that you mentioned were um, about in the operating room, um, one of my first projects, it was a, a, an OpenBCI dashboard. So basically a dashboard that gave you all the raw data in real time and in different formats you know, and frequencies uh, for, you know, for the OpenBCI brain computer interface. So I was contacted uh, by someone that works at a hospital and they told me, hey, I, I was able to do an NPM install, launch your dashboard, um, you know, do an NPM start, and we were able to run the dashboard while using the OpenBCI sensors around patients' eyes to make sure that we're, while doctors were performing surgeries, they were not damaging 
any any nerves because you're getting real-time feedback and you can see in the data if you know the, the neurons or the muscle data is, is is really lower right or higher um so that gives you feedback which touches on something that I'm very i feel very strongly about called neurofeedback neurofeedback um is basically um that when you show the brain when you show the pre-conscious to the conscious mind when you show the the brain a little bit of how it works even if you show the the, the brain the brain was in frequency of your own brain right uh the brain actually takes that information in and is able to change its behavior based on what it's seeing because it's real-time feedback in something wow. that we can understand and they're using that to as a way of therapy they're using that as a way to reduce anxiety um, and various mental illnesses. So going open source and neurotech, this is a very exciting time because I believe that these technologies and these ways of um, um, of being able to get information about ourselves is just really going to become more accessible. Wow. I can definitely see that like now basically what I want to, I mean, I, I think this kind of happens if you look at these really expensive, um, you know, um, compute computers that are, you know, I guess cooking or, you know, doing silly things like that. Or there, I mean, I think there's even, aren't there even machines that perform surgery or maybe they perform surgery based on like a doctor guiding them. Right. But like, imagine if you could actually, you know, use machine learning to create like the brain of a doctor like you know using i mean i could totally i don't know how big this open source project could be but <laughs> it could get pretty i want it to be like the matrix where you can download uh how to <laughs> learn how to do karate <laughs> now i can do brain surgery it sounds complicated to like do something like that but really if you statistically read back if you find a, a, a means of measuring, then you could have uh, a thousand doctors performing various surgeries and read those into a neural net. And then you could have a neural net do the surgery and it would be better than, it would be the combination of all those doctors together. It would be the wisdom of the crowd of yes. those doctors, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's, I mean, it sounds like it's far-fetched, um, but I mean, it, you can, you can make the problem uh, statistically very simple. Yeah. That's so amazing. That's that's really amazing. And the thing is, one of the challenges, um, and Robert, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that in order for you to to be able, you know, to get that information processed by these algorithms is that you need a lot and very high quality data. And that's the thing, collecting that, it is a huge effort, right? Like, because yeah. if you take your example, how do you input that learning in, in those steps, you know, in a format that a computer can understand uh, and then produce the outcomes that you would hope for? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you have to find a means of measuring. If you, if you don't measure, then you can't cut. <laughs> uh, and that's a, a bad pun, but... You also need bad examples, which I don't know how we'd collect those, but <laughs> it needs to know bad what bad looks like to know what good looks like too. Yeah. So that's there's an issue there. Very true. And it, it may be it may be uh, human intervention 
you know, saying this is the bad example, you know, your output would be zero <laughs> and the good example would be one. But um, in, in either case, um, you find you have to find a means of measuring, I think, first for it to be practical. Well, cool. I think we are just out of time. So you can follow these awesome folks on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Jeff. I'm going to start with Jeff because uh, you're my favorite Twitter handle. It's <laughs> jmoneyalpha7 on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Alex at Castillo underscore underscore IO. And then uh, Robert at Robert L. Plummer on Twitter. So great folks to follow, um, especially if you want to get involved in these types of things. I know all of them are very, very open to helping or pointing in the right direction. And hopefully this podcast really inspires you all to just, you know, get involved and, and, and sort of realize that technology, you know, even if it's at its infancy, it's come such a crazy, crazy long way. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants to start building profiles of doctors and doing this stuff, like it's actually not that difficult, you know, it just, it really wouldn't be. I don't know, maybe Jeff, you're gonna be a, uh, you know, <laughs> go over to Duke and get all the doctors and make it happen. Yeah. Get all their date, get all their data. Well, I think that what they, yes, I think that when something, when a technology or a field is in its infancy, that's the most exciting time because that's when there aren't any like, you know, there's, there's not any well-worn paths, you know, everybody's making their own path and you can, you can learn and you can grow and it's, things are still very fluid and it's, it's a very exciting time. So I completely agree with all that. Cool. Well, thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the modern web podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at modern web. That's modern D O T web. And we will see you on the next episode. This podcast is sponsored by native script. Want to use your web skills to build iOS and Android apps? Try NativeScript. NativeScript is an open source framework for building native mobile apps using technologies you already know, like JavaScript, Angular, or Vue. Learn more at nativescript.org slash modern web.